Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, whether you're in this room or you're joining us uh, on our live stream, I am thankful to be able to preach the word of God to you this morning, that we are gathered together this day to both celebrate and worship our great King. My name is Patrick Bowerman. If you don't know me, I have the privilege to serve here as a pastor and as one of the elders at our church. And our passage we're going to be in today is Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be looking in verses 20 through 24, talking about how we're to put on the new self. So wherever you find yourself this morning, wherever you are, maybe you're uh, sitting at your kitchen table drinking a cup of coffee. Maybe you're sitting in our sanctuary uh, listening to, to me speak now. Maybe you're gathered with your family around the couch sitting in your comfy PJs. I want you to think about something. I want you to, I want you to picture in your mind, what is your most favorite article of clothing? You know, maybe it's, a, maybe it's a pair of pants that when you get home from work, you, you like to slip into them. They're, they're broken in. They're really comfortable. Or maybe it's an old t-shirt. You know, it's got a faded logo. Uh, it's been washed so many times. It's, it's mega soft and you love to put it on after a, a long day. Or maybe it's a hat you've, you've broken in so much that it kind of feels just a part of you uh, when you put it on. You know, whatever, whatever this garment is, I want you to, to picture it. And as much as you like this garment of clothing, I want you to think, do you ever tend to overlook some of its flaws? Do you kind of forget that there's a hole in the armpit or, you know, kind of a stain on the front of it? Do you overlook the fact that it's been washed so many times it's starting to get a little threadbare? Because you're comfortable with it, because you, you like it. And so you, you overlook those things because it's, it's your favorite. In our passage this morning, Paul uses a very vivid image relating to our, the garments of our old self before Christ, who we were before Christ, and the garments of our new life in Jesus. And he shows us that the temptation for us as Christians is that we might want to cling to our old, tattered garments instead of living in the better way of Christ. And so Paul's exhortation to us is to continually put off those garments of unbelief instead of and instead, put on the garments of faith. So put off the old and then put on the new that he provides for us. And so Paul is really highlighting for us the reality as, as believers that as we truly know and love Jesus, it changes us. It transforms us. We become more and more holy as we pursue Christ together and as we turn from our sin. It's this idea of sanctification. The more that we pursue the Lord and turn from our sin, the more and more we are made like Him. And so the main idea that we're going to be talking about today, the, really the main idea that we see in this text, is fairly simple and straightforward, but it's really profound for us to live this out. The more actively we pursue Christ, the less appealing our sin is to us the harder we run after Jesus in love and hope and trust, the less appealing, the less draw our sin has to us. And so Paul is encouraging us all the more to actively pursue Jesus, that we would put on the new self and put away the old. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us, to help us to hear what he calls us to do and actually put this into practice. So Father, Lord, we come to you this morning gathered all across Maryville and even around our country and, and possibly further, Lord. We come together to worship you. Father, I'm thankful that, Lord, whether we're 
gathered in live stream or in this room, Lord, you are with us. Father, you are mutually encouraging us together. Lord, please, please apply your word to our hearts today. Would you help us to see you more clearly? Would you help us to love you in a deeper way? Father, would you help us together to encourage and exhort one another to the day where we will be gathered together face to face with you as a church. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we need your help. So lead us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So our passage again is going to be Ephesians 4, verses 20 through 24. But I'm going to start picking up in verse 17 just to get a little bit of the flow of the context. So hear the word of the Lord, brothers and sisters, starting in Ephesians 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And this is where our passage begins this morning. But that is not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so as we, as we read these verses and as we even think back to those first three verses, verses 17 through 19, we talked about those last week. As we read in this section, we see that, that here Paul is painting a picture of fallen mankind. He's describing a person who is not a believer in these verses. This is who we used to be. It's a description of our old self. We used to have darkened minds. We were cut off from the life of God because both of our ignorance and also because of our hardening of hearts. And we'd become callous, given up to all sorts of impurity. And one of the most, one of the most often asked questions in the world that also many times has the least satisfying answer is how do people change? You know, there's, there's whole sections devoted to this idea in bookstores if you can actually find a bookstore anymore. You know, how is it that you're changed from one thing to another? How do you, how do you, how do you grow in certain areas or whatever? It's, there's all sorts of books that would seek to give an answer. But the question remains for us this morning, how is it that we change in a way that God would desire us to change? And the answer from the scriptures is that our hearts must change. We need a new heart with new desires, as verse 22 points out. And so here, what is it that brings us from living like the Gentiles do in verse, verses 17 through 19? And what enables us to be able to live as a changed person in verses 22 through 24? What brings about that change? Paul tells us in verses 20 through 21 that we don't just come to a better philosophy. You know, we don't, just, we don't just find a better idea and so we adopt that. No, we come to a person named Jesus and he changes us. It's not a philosophy, but it's him and he brings the transformation to us. 
You cannot put off the old self and you cannot put on the new self without Christ. It's impossible. He is the focal point in which our story changes. Paul's emphatic in that as we learn the gospel and as we hear about the gospel uh, and the good news through the Bible, we don't just learn about Jesus. We actually learn Jesus. We get to know him, not just about him. We get to know him. We have a real relationship with him through his word and through his spirit. He is the reason that we are different if you are a Christian. And so this is fully consistent with what Chris taught us last week. If you remember just from from his message, he said that in order to turn from our old life of sin to our new life in God, we must be born again. And we must learn to walk again. And we must trust that we will live again. All of the ways in which we turn from sin are done in context of relationship with Jesus. And as we have learned Christ, we're to walk in him. But again, we we come back to the main idea of the text this morning. The more we actively pursue Jesus by finding our true joy and having our souls satisfied in him, then the less appealing the draw of sin will be to us. It comes down to desire. Because I'm always going to pursue what I love the most. And so Paul's exhortation to us is threefold in this passage. He says that we are to put off the old self and that we need to have a renewed mind and we also need to put on the new self. And in one sense, we need to recognize and, and uh, understand that when we are saved, when we have been um, come into relationship with Christ by faith, these things have happened already in some sense. We have uh, the old man who we used to be has died. And our minds have been transformed as our hearts have been transformed. And we are a new creature. We, we have a new heart that is alive to God. And so this has already happened. And yet there's also a sense in which this is an ongoing action. We're to continually put to death the old self. And we're continue to have our minds renewed. And to continue to pursue love and joy of God. And put on the new self so that we would be mature in Christ. And so as we look at verse 22... Paul tells us this. He says that we are to put off, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. You know, as our old selves have died, we are unified with Christ in his death and resurrection. And so we realize that the power and the penalty of sin has been paid. And yet, we also know that the presence of sin still remains. We, we feel it regularly. I'm sure as you're sitting at your homes this week, as you've been in isolation, you've been in close proximity with your family for a long period of time, I would bet that sin has been exposed in at least one of you. You know, there's been times in which our speech or our actions or even our attitudes have not matched up with what God would call us to do. The ongoing presence of sin is why we must continue to fight and to regularly get rid of our old habits and patterns even as we adjust to having a new life in Christ, to being alive to Christ. 
We fight and put it and try to put it off because it's, the presence still remains, uh, at least for now. And so if we want to understand what does it look like then, what does this old man, what's a, what's a description of this look like in the, in the Scriptures? Paul gives a short description here, but in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9, he gives us a little bit longer explanation of, of what the old self looks like. And this is what he says. Paul tells us to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. He says, on account of the wrath of, on the count of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you lived, when we're living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. He says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And so as you, as you look at this list, as you see things like anger and wrath and malice and slander, obscene talk, immorality, impurity, passion, covetousness, as you, as you think about those things, which one of those feels the most comfortable to you? You know, which of, the, of these are you most likely to, to pick up and put back on like that old shirt? Which one are you easiest to slip back into? Or maybe if that's hard, a hard way to think about it, maybe you would ask the question this way, which of these actions am I most likely to qualify? Right? Yeah, I'm angry, but they deserve it. Or I really shouldn't say this, but that person is a moron, right? And so you, you kind of qualify it, but then you just say what you wanted to say. Or, or maybe you're standing in line at, at Walmart, you know, in, or in the grocery store this past week with all the other shoppers. Have you been provoked to anger or rudeness as you've been there? Or maybe, you know, your written words or your recommendations on social media. Do these show a tendency toward putting on the old self? in the things that you say or give approval to? In all of these sinful practices, there is a lie at the heart of them. Each one promises, at least for a moment, that they can make us happy or give us purpose or satisfy us. Each one attempts to place us on the throne as either king or judge. But they're lies. What we end up with is regret and sadness and brokenness, and pain. Each of these sins is a rebellion against who we are now in Christ. That is not who we are anymore. We are not that person, and yet we continually attempt to put those things back on. These ways of the old self, they don't, they don't give life and peace, but they actually drive us away from the one who can give us those things. Paul tells us in verse 22 that these actions belong to our former manner of life. They don't belong to us now. They're no longer ours. And yet, it is so tempting for us to try to take them back because we've practiced them for so long. We have built up a sinful muscle memory. And it's so easy to reflexively respond like we used to. Just like catching a ball. You throw it to me, I'm going to catch it. 
built up a muscle memory. We do the same thing a lot of times with our old self. So how do we keep from going back to our old self with its sin? Well, part of the answer is that we need to remember who we are in Christ. We need to remember all of the indicatives from chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians, those those chapters that show us who we are and what God has done to secure relationship for us in adopting us and sanctifying us and giving us His Spirit. Those truths help us remember who we are. We remember those indicatives. And yet, how do we keep from going back to the old self with its sin also besides that? We have to put away those things that belong to the old man. We need to put them aside. We must actively fight to kill them. We have to distance ourselves from the things that we don't want to do. And I think our cell phones are a good example of this. You know, how many, how many times have we realized that, man, my cell phone, when I'm at home with it, is a, is a distraction, right? I'm, I'm sitting at the table having a conversation and it'll ping and I want to look at it. Or I'm, I'm finding myself just scrolling through news and, and information kind of as a distraction or just a triviality because I want to avoid other things that could be more important. That happens sometimes too. Especially, I bet during this time of coronavirus, especially if you're prone toward a little bit of anxiety, you might keep going back to your phone, checking the numbers, seeing if there's any new updates that you missed. But when the phone keeps you from engaging with, with other people, especially with its constant notifications and all of these other things, it is right to put it away, to put it in a drawer when you come home, to put it on the charger in a different room so it's not a distraction, so you can engage with the people that actually matter to you. We put away lesser things to pursue things that matter. And so this putting off, you know, and putting it away, it's not just a one-time thing either. Like it just happened once and we're done with it. But it's something that we need to do regularly, continually, in an ongoing manner. We need to keep daily putting off lust and pride and selfishness and anger, false speech and every other part of the old self. We hear in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul tells us, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And so we recognize that, that temptation and sin is common to us. And yet God enables us through his spirit and applying his word in our situation to be able to overcome particular sinful temptations that we have. It's not inevitable in that sense that we have to give in to the same sins that we always have given into in the past. And so I want you to think about it this way. What does the old self say? What well, says, you've given into lust a thousand times before. And now is no different when those thoughts come to mind. So you just should give into it again. You're going to, it's inevitable. That's what the old self says. But we can believe the word of God, which tells us that Christ has died to free us from sin and death. And that we are able to flee it and to glorify God in our bodies. And if God says we are not bound, then why do we listen to what our sin says? We can ask God to help us to help us to see our sin for the ugly thing that it is. And he will give us strength to not only flee, but to fight 
And we know that he is with us in the midst of that too. The old self also says that we don't need to forgive others when they've hurt us, when they've shamed us, when they've stolen from us, when they've done other things as well. In fact, the old self says that hatred is right in these times. It's justified. But the cross shows us how foolish that is. For we treated the Holy Son of God ourselves. We treated him with contempt and hatred by our sin. And yet God extends forgiveness to us because of Christ's work. And he adopts us into his family and calls us sons and daughters. That God does that through Christ. And so as we realize the enormity of the debt that we have been forgiven by God, Through Christ, we are able to forgive others even when they have sinned grievously against us. So that fights against that old self by applying what is actually true. And the good news of the gospel is that God has actually freed us for this fight. Because in our lost state, we had no power. We had no ability not to sin. We were utterly without hope in ourselves. And so it really was useless. But for those of us who believe in Jesus, our Savior, Christ has broken the power of sin by his death on the cross. And our debt to sin has been paid. And we've been made alive together with Christ. And he has sent his spirit to indwell us. We are now God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. God glorifying works that he has prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. This is what informs the new man to fight against the old. And so though Paul isn't saying that we would never sin, he is saying that we have the power through the Spirit to be able to resist any type of sin and temptation as we apply the truth of God's Word and depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit. But we depend upon that. We depend upon him. We depend upon the spirit. But also, we depend upon one another as well. You know, it's the role of of a believer to speak truth in love to each other. We see that in chapter 4, verse 15. We're to speak the the truth in love to one another. Remember, God has given us leaders and, and each other to help us to be equipped for the work of the ministry and to be made mature, as verse 13 says in chapter 4. And here's the reality. This is why community is so important. It is much harder for your old sin, that old self, that old shirt you want to put back on, it is much harder for it to hide when you are in community with others. And subsequently, it is easier to keep falling into old sinful patterns when you're not in community with other people to help you see your sin more clearly. This is why we must gather together. This is why even in your homes, you're gathered together to worship and we desire to to have Zoom meetings or whatever it takes for us to be able to be together because we see the value of encouragement and, and exhortation together toward Christ. We need each other in our sanctification. We need each other's prayers so that we be strengthened to overcome our weaknesses and our tendencies. We need the boldness of a friend to tell us that our actions are wrong and stupid. 
and that our thinking is foolish, a good friend would tell you that you're acting like a fool because they love you. We need solid teaching so that we would not be carried about by the false philosophies of the day. And we need each person to speak the truth in love so that we would grow up into Christ who is our head. We need all of that. We need one another. And so as we think about this idea of putting off the old self, we have to recognize that this is is a part of what we must do, but it's not all that we must do. We don't just put off the old. We've been called to put on the new self, which is marked by holiness and righteousness. And part of the way that this happens, part of the way that we continually put on the new self, we see in verse 23, is that we have a renewed mind, that our minds are continually being transformed and matured by God. And so in verse 23, we hear this. Uh, he says, put off the old self in 22 and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Jesus tells us in Matthew, tw- uh, Matthew 12, uh, verse 34b, so the second half of verse 34, a verse you may be familiar with where he says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever we fill our hearts with comes out of our mouths. So too, I believe the implication is that whatever we fill our mind with will come out in our actions. So part of the way in which we put on the new self is that we fill our minds with the truth of God. This is consistent fully with verse 23, where Paul says that we need to be renewed in our minds. They need to be changed, our minds do, for us to hate sin and to love righteousness. And again, verse 23, the verb tense is ongoing action. It needs to continue into the present and ultimately into the future until we're fully sanctified. And so our minds are, are transformed when we're saved and they're continually being transformed as we walk with Jesus. And so here's the thing. The truth helps me when I feel tempted to run back to my old sin-stained garments. The truth shines a light on what is false and it highlights its grossness. Helps you to see it for what it is. And the picture that keeps coming to mind for me is like, imagine you walked into a a hotel, right? Most of the time the rooms look beautiful, they're clean, bedding's nice. But what if you lifted up that mattress? What are you going to find there? As you shine the light on it, is there something crawling around there too? What on the outside might look beautiful may be infested and infected and need to be cleaned, right? And so bed bugs are pretty disgusting. That comes to mind for me. Especially now, when you might be tempted toward hopelessness. You know, as you're looking around and you're seeing the statistics and the models and maybe you're thinking about how lethal or, or, or difficult the coronavirus is. I don't want to minimize that. But in your heart, hope might feel hard to come by right now. But God's Word tells us in Ephesians 1, 18-23, tells us that we have a steadfast hope in Jesus. The one who has been raised from the dead and is seated right now in the position of highest authority over all things, including sickness and viruses and death. Our hope, brothers and sisters, is steadfast and it's everlasting because it's found in Christ. So the truth helps us to 
fight against the old self. It helps us to recognize it for what it is, and it helps to transform our minds that we would continually put on the new. And so again, remember, we're not just to cast off the old garments which feel comfortable to us, but we are called to put on the new garments of righteousness that Christ provides. And these garments at first, maybe they feel like they're a little bit too big. Maybe they feel a little bit stiff to us. Maybe they don't feel quite as good at the beginning as our old clothing. And yet, here's the thing. The more that we put them on, the better they're going to fit and feel. The more we're going to see their goodness that God provides. But we have to put off and put on. They go together. Both of these must happen. So I want you to picture yourself for a moment um, at the beach. I don't know if you guys like going to the beach. Uh, I like going there sometimes. Um, but I want you to picture yourself on the beach and the, you know, the breeze is blowing and the, the waves are gently crashing on the sand and it's, it's basically smooth sand in front of you and the water just gently lapping up. And so you've got your bucket and you've got a shovel and your plan today is to build a sandcastle, right? And so you take that shovel and you, you fill up your bucket. You're ready to go. You're ready to, to, you know, flip it over and start building some stuff. But I want you to think, what, what happens in the hole that you just dug out and put the sand in the bucket? What happens where the hole was? Water and sand come right back in, don't they? It gets filled right back in almost instantly. You know, whatever you dig out of the hole keeps getting filled back up over and over again. And the only way really to stop this is maybe you flip your bucket over and you put it in the hole. Or something else has to be in that spot for it not to be filled back in. This is why we cannot be content to just put off the old self. Because if we do, for one, it would be weird if you don't have any garments on at all. But for two, we're just going to put it back on. Right? If we just put it off, we'll just eventually put it back on. But we must not do that. It's not enough simply to put off the old man. We must put on the new. We must love something greater than our sin. And so as we actively pursue Christ, remember this is the main idea that we're talking about. As we actively pursue Jesus and we continue to experience his goodness and our great God, you know, the goodness of our great God and his love, then we will see the appeal of sin begin to decrease in our lives as we pursue him, as we love him, as we see his greatness and his mercy and his faithfulness, as we see how kind and good his provision is, then the, then the promises and the lies of sin, we will be able to see them for what they are and fight against them. But one of the greatest errors that we can make in our fight against sin is to just focus all of our efforts on overcoming that sinful thing. That's, you know, if all of our energy and passion is toward just defeating that sinful practice, we have made a grievous error. It's only half the solution to put those things off. You know, for example, if you find yourself angry regularly, maybe you think, you know, I'm just going to count to 10, and I'm not going to say what comes to my mind for those 10 seconds. And so, you know, you're silent for that time, and you don't speak because you know that's a way to help protect you from saying those things. Or maybe you just don't say anything when you feel angry because you know what's going to come out would not be good. Or maybe if you give in regularly to a particular temptation, say you put up barriers to keep in place to keep you from them. You know, maybe you get rid of your computer, you stop watching the type of shows that you used to. Maybe you have an accountability partner that asks you regularly, how are you doing? 
How are you doing in this particular sin? You know, or, or maybe you try to distance yourself from particular people or a, a particular person that might be, um, you know, kind of inflaming sinful tendencies in you. While all of these actions speak, could be good in and, of, in and of themselves, they're incomplete. It'd be like going to war with only defensive troops. You have plenty of shields and some walls, but you have nothing to do to actually defeat the enemy that you're fighting. Imagine that you and your wife aren't doing very well. Or kids, a lot of you are gathered together this morning. Imagine hypothetically that you've been in conflict with your siblings, maybe even this morning. Would it be good if you stopped being mean to each other? If you stopped saying things that are hurtful and negative and, and unloving? Yes, it would absolutely be good for you to stop doing those things. But the better thing would be to not just stop saying mean things, but it would be to say things that are lovely and good and true, to speak words that give life and build up and encourage, not tear down and destroy, to speak words of, of life to your spouse and, and to your siblings and to your children and, and words that are good and right. So it's not enough just to fight against something, but it's actually to pursue things that are right and good. And so the way that we actively fight against sin is not just to avoid the places where sin seeks to take its hooks and get its hooks caught in us, but it's to pursue a deeper love of Jesus. This is how we actively fight against sin. We fight weak desires by finding joy and satisfaction in better things. Having better desires replaces the weaker ones that we have. And Thomas Chalmers says a really cool quote. It's on your screen. says it this way. The only way to dispossess the heat of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. And in Christ, we have an extremely powerful affection that is able to overcome any of the old self. And so as we think about this, we need to think about what does it look like then for us to cultivate love and joy of Christ so that our affections would be bolstered by him and we wouldn't turn to weaker things. This is so important for us because maybe you find yourself stuck in a repeated pattern of sin over and over, unable to break free and see true lasting change. Let me ask you a question. Have you been focusing so much on that sin, that sin that you hate, rather than cultivating a heart that loves and cherishes Christ above all. You see, this is looking at it backwards, is it not? A far more effective approach would be to, to grow in our desire and love of God so that sin doesn't seem to be as tempting as it used to be. When I'm most satisfied in God, then I will not be tempted to look outside of Him for joy and comfort and hope. So the emphasis on what we're to think about in this passage isn't really evenly weighted with just putting off and putting on like their scales, right? Evenly balanced in the putting off and the putting on. Though both are really important. The more pressing matter is that we as Christians would seek to love Jesus and to know him with increasing energy and passion. And when we do this, we will all the more desire to put off sin and our old self because we will increasingly hate those things that are opposed to God. 
Paul's prayer for the Ephesians in chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. If you've got your Bibles open, flip there for a second. But it's also, I think, on the screen. Uh, maybe not. It's not on the screen. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians is really helpful for us, though. Here we see that Paul says he's praying that the saints in Ephesus, but also that would be the church as a whole, would have strength to comprehend with all of the saints. So all the saints together, he, he's praying that they would have strength to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Paul prays that we would have strength to comprehend this. It must be a pretty awesome truth if it takes strength for us to get it. God's love is so deep that we can never get to the bottom of it. It's so wide that we can never reach its boundaries. The cumulative weight of the love of God in Christ is so great that it cannot be stopped by famine or by armies or coronaviruses and certainly not by Satan. And it's one thing to press into these things, these truths as individuals. But Paul's saying, I, I hope, I want you to comprehend with all of the saints together. You know, it's, it's something altogether different when we together are excited and thrilled by God's love corporately. It's in this context of relationship with each other that we see the fullness of God's love in Jesus and what he's doing in particular in the lives of, of other believers. Other precious followers, as God's showing his faithfulness in them, it helps bolster our view of God too. And so today I've got some questions that I think would be best asked in community this week as we're encouraging one another, as we're trying to press on toward actually doing what, what Paul calls us to and really what God is calling us to, to put off the old self and put on the new. In the context of community, these questions will be helpful. And so we're going to show these on the screen, but it says this, first question. I want you to think about this deeply. How has your love of Christ, how has it helped you to put off the old self in the past few months? How has, how has that uh, burning passion for Christ helped to consume those weaker desires of, of the flesh in you in the past few months or weeks or, or even, you know, in this in particular season of coronavirus? How has your love and trust of God grown during this pandemic? Are you seeing love and trust of God in the midst of that? And how is the depth of God's love and the joys that you have in Christ, how has it helped you see sin's promises as the counterfeits that they are? In other words, how has your love and joy in Christ helped you to see the lies of sin as they make claims? How has it helped you to fight against them? And in particular, is there any sin that you have been indulging that Christ's love would compel you to repent of? These would be great things for us to share in community, to be encouraged, to be challenged, to be pointed toward the hope that we have in Him. And this is, this is why we're encouraged in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, to let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Again, it's this context of community, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
We need each other, brothers and sisters. Together, our love of God is increased as we worship and as we serve and as we live our lives together. We encourage one another to persevere in this battle against sin and toward righteousness. And even if it's done remotely, it's good for us to gather together. But what is most joyful for us, brothers and sisters, is that there is an end goal to our sanctification process. We will ultimately be gathered together forever. All of us who are in Christ, standing in the presence of Christ, unashamed because we are clothed in his righteousness. We will together be worshiping and praising our great King whom we have seen face to face. The great doxology at the end of Jude, which we read from regularly, says this. It says, Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling, He is able to help you put off the old self and to present you blameless or holy in His presence before the presence of His glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen. And I want to say that all of this is true, brothers and sisters. All of the truth that we hear in that doxology, that he is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless, that is true. But none of it, none of it would be able to take place except for what we celebrate this season. Because God has come. Because of the triumphal entry of our King Jesus into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And because he was led to the cross of Calvary. And it culminates with his empty tomb, where he's raised from the dead and his ascension to glory. Because of those things, we have hope. Brothers and sisters, let us rejoice together this morning. Let us have hope in him now. Let us together with one voice sing to the one who was praised as he entered in Jerusalem. Our great king, let us sing to the king with unified voice as we respond in worship. So Father, would you help us? Would you lead us? Would you give us joy now as we sing in our homes and in our sanctuary? Let us sing with voices loud in praise to you. Let us rejoice that together this morning with saints across the globe, we are lifting voices to you and one day we will be with you together face to face. Lead us now, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.